Welcome back to episode two of season two of Beer Time with Books. Woo! Cool. (laughs) (laughs) The hype already internally (laughs) is dying down since episode one. We're happy to be back. This is the first day of March. It definitely feels like it. It's the type of weather, the first warm weather of the season that has everybody you pass by saying, have you been enjoying that weather today? Everybody loves the weather today. (laughs) Everyone's talking about it. Are you enjoying it? Uh, We just had a leap day for the first time since (laughs) 2016. Very true. Post in the comments how you guys (laughs) spent your leap day. You know, shout out to the underappreciated quarter days in 2017, 18, and 19. Everybody gets to 2020 and they're like, hey, leap day. This wouldn't have been possible without those quarter days in 17, 18, 19. Way to shout out the little guys, Brian. The little guys. (laughs) (laughs) We are back with part two. (laughs) Just moving right along with uh, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Brian had to look at his book to remind him <laughs> what the title was. I just am admiring this fantastic edition. Oh, yeah. oh it's so good. It's red. Beautiful. Uh, but before we get into that, we're just going to touch on some of the classic corners, including a little shout out for a couple new books we picked up. We went on a walk to get some uh, brunch and stopped by the local bookstore. A beer time with books field trip. It was. It's a nice field trip before <laughs> uh, the final assignment for this section. So, uh, first of all, we're going to start with. What we're drinking. Who wants to start with what are you drinking? I'll start. I'm drinking a... This is Danny. I'm drinking an Odell Brewing Company uh, Wolf Picker Experimental IPA. I... Surprise choice. I it surprised myself. I didn't think I liked IPAs. And maybe I do now. <laughs> so that <laughs> was my journey. Really <laughs> uh, just grown exponentially since this podcast started. Yeah, I mean... I just, I wow. honestly didn't like IPAs for a while, and I like IPAs now. I know. I didn't. When I first started drinking beer, I didn't like IPAs, but... I just haven't had one in quite a while. I stick to blondes and wheats and fruit and sours, <laughs> and so... Ugh, I fruit. hate sours. <laughs> I know you hate sours. I like sours. I know. I kind of feel like sours the next step past uh, IPA, so you're just trying oh, to find I, your middle did ground. Did I skip over yeah, IPAs Yeah, you just went straight spectrum? for sours. I don't know if that's true I or not. Know. I just feel like sours are very extreme. Sours just taste kind of like juice to me. I don't know what sours you've (laughs) had. I don't know. They're good. Um, Yeah, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I think I like IPAs now. Thanks for being here on this journey (laughs) with me. Hell yeah. Uh, For my beer, this is a new one uh, for me. This is Martin City Brewing Company. So this is like local, local. If we're talking about local brewing. And it's a Belgian blonde. Just had my first sip of it. Not too bad. A glowing review. <laughs> uh, I was like a good blonde. Yeah. Uh, local, but <laughs> local and Belgian, but not owned by Belgians. That's true. Wow. It's getting a little complex here in the Kansas City brewing scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Jamie. Hi. I'm also drinking Martin City Belgian Blonde. It's pretty good. I'm I'm digging it. I yeah. like a blonde. We've still somehow been I able. I am a blonde. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, we've still somehow been able to keep new beers flowing i don't know if we're gonna like run through 
what's available to us in our little pocket of the world (laughs) i mean if we keep going danny's talking about doing this podcast for the rest of our goddamn lives you know they make new beers sometimes that's true but we also have new episodes they have seasonal beers yeah that's a seasonal the experimental experimental is the seasonal picker i'm listen guys enjoy enjoy it while you can i am experimental It, this is everything that I am. It's and stand true, for. truly representative truly. of you. <laughs> that's why we purchased it. Uh, so yeah, that's a couple of the beers we're drinking. And next, I think we'll just kind of tie it in with the books that we picked up uh, from Prospero's on our little journey today uh, to tie that into the recent media we've been consuming. Danny, you want to start again with that? Yeah. Um, so at Prospero's an hour ago, I picked up um, a beautiful copy of uh, Flannery O'Connor's Complete Stories. I've never read any Flannery O'Connor. Jamie heard that and immediately scoffed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly like that. Um, but I'm overdue for some Flannery. So I'm excited um, to delve in with uh, A Good Man is Hard to Find, per Jamie. Yes. Uh, you have to start with A Good Man is Hard to Find. And... Um, yeah, it's a. I don't know. It's just an old. It's an older copy, but it's like a beautiful. It has a peacock on the front, and uh, I was into it. What so, you learned is relevant to her life. She apparently. grew up on a peacock yeah. farm. She raised peacocks. Yes, awesome. Yeah, a vibe. I, I feel like I read once that you can <laughs> visit her peacock farm still in I the must south. Go. Um, because she died really young. Can that be our second field trip? Yeah. <laughs> our first one is the local next bookstore. Week second week. Um, next time next week. We are at. We are here at Flannery O'Connor's. Just do a live peacock farm. Live broadcast from Flannery O'Connor's peacock farm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What else? Um. I'm also reading a book called Memoirs. Uh. It's called Initiated Memoir of a Witch. I don't know anything about being a witch. You're on this witch vibe right I now. I kind of, I can't remember last, yeah, last week I talked about uh, Updike's, uh, what is that? The Witches of Eastwick. Um, yeah, this is a nonfiction um, about a woman who grew up um, with a mom who was a witch. And she, I, as far as I know, the the memoir is just her talking about her life and she's talking about um, uh, just everything that is involved in like her experience in being a witch. I don't know. I'm into it. Um, I also recently finished... I don't remember if I finished it before the last episode or not. Uh, I finished One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, finally. Mm. Yeah, you didn't mention that one. Maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe not. I was not... I was going to give it three stars until, like, the last 30 pages. And then I really, really liked the last 30 pages. Okay, cool. I, I gave it no stars. It went, it went down yeah, to two. I was going to give it three Sorry. stars. It ended up being I, I, zero. I, like, I, mean, I, I burned it when I was done. It was trash. <laughs> it's I liked our it coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you burned it. I liked it fine uh, <laughs> until the end. And I, then I, I was really liking it toward the end. I was really intrigued. Um, so I finished that recently. Um, and then in terms of uh, podcasts, I have been listening to a new podcast on the HeadGum Network called Review Review. And... It's hilarious. Uh, Should I listen to it? I I heard them on, or uh, if I were you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. It's funny. It's light. It's like uh, two of the comedians um, in the Headgun Network um, get together and do skits based off, like improv based off of um, Yelp reviews of very like uh, menial like like one was a dry cleaner and one was bottled water that they got off Amazon and like. 
it's such an interesting I love reading reviews especially bad reviews and so it's funny they basically like read a few of the good ones they read a few of the bad ones and then they improv like based off of like one of the scenes like one lady said that she uh, took her dry her wedding dress in to get dry cleaned to this tailor or dry cleaner or something and uh, they'd like burned a hole through it or something and so she left this bad review and they responded and they were basically just like sorry you weren't happy with us bye <laughs> and so they just they role play and it's really funny um, I'm, I'm a huge fan I've liked it so far and I'm also uh, I've burned through the first and now almost finished with the second season of The Dream um, I started the first season last year and I just didn't really get into it but um, I, um, I, I, re- I re-listened to it recently and um, I just am, I don't know, feeling real indignant and upset about all of the people who are being taken advantage of per like MLMs. And also like, I don't know, I have a lot of people in my life who also I'm, I'm sure have been taken advantage of by like essential oil, like yeah. MLMs and vitamins and whatever even else. Um, so... Now, yeah, I'm hard into the second season of the wellness industry, and mm-hmm. it's I talked about equally, that. yeah, it's equally hard to listen to. Last time, yeah, it's very interesting. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Nice. All right. Um, the book that I picked up at our local bookstore, Prospero's, uh, is an unfinished autobiography of Jean Reese, titled "Smile, Please." Uh, that title caused a stir until it was understood that this was an autobiography. I, I saw the title first, and then I saw that it was Jean Reese, and then I saw that it was an autobiography. <laughs> and I, um, I've i only ever read one thing by Jean Reese. I should look into more, but uh, Wide Sargasso Sea is kind of... Danny described it as a fan fiction earlier, but it's um, based off of Jane Eyre. It's like Bertha's story from Jane Eyre, the woman in the attic, um, and looks at sort of post-colonial <laughs> attitudes. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. <laughs> I feel like I can't spoil Jane Eyre. It's no, a million ab- years old. You're absolutely right. I'm <laughs> just being an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> um, but I really I read Wide Sargasso Sea in college for an English class and I really loved it as like another take on Jane Eyre because I've always really loved Jane Eyre um and so this autobiography by Jean Reese looks really interesting it says it's um divided up into like vignettes of her life because she didn't know how to properly depict uh like a full autobiography of her life and pretty book too it's really pretty that's why I saw it it's old and pretty and um but I one of the descriptors at the end of like describing what the book is about it says that uh in in the diary fragment included here Reese muses on the question of why she must write she finds an answer you must earn death um and that's what really sold me on this I think it sounds interesting the layers to get you to buy this book I know it was just such a step it was a one. journey <laughs> it was, it was like a journey. title first and whoever came up with that title right now if they're they're obviously listening to this podcast was it Jean and they were just I like I feel like it was probably Jean well if it's unfinished, it's unfinished you know, but she could have titled it before so yeah. people decide that sure. good work Jean um so that's what I bought. I'm excited to read it. Uh I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but I like autobiographies and memoirs. So uh other media 
I don't know. I have, feel like I haven't done anything in the last two weeks. Brian and I are watching The Crown. Um, oh, my God. I'm really into The Crown right now. I have so many fil- feelings about um, Philip and Elizabeth and Margaret. I, I need to retry. I Oh, you started it? I started it a long time ago, Dang. like when it first came out on Netflix. Mm. And I was coming off of a Downton Abbey high, wanting <laughs> it to be the same thing. And it's not. But I think I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like it just because, like, being able to look stuff up, it's just I love doing that. And just to have all these different events, especially some that seem more niche, maybe, that, you know, you know, there's obviously some cover or they cover some of the bigger events like the Suez Canal crisis. And, like, that's big because it was a war. Mm-hmm. But then there's also these small things of, like, Princess Margaret's portrait or like something like her birthday and portrait was like a whole episode and, and I, that it was, was very interesting that was one of my favorite episodes of the entire show partially from like the director and the yeah. way that it was done but i don't know there's just all these random things that me as a person who thinks the monarchy is really stupid <laughs> just being completely honest it is still very interesting because like mm-hmm. it's obviously important to the you know united kingdom society mm-hmm. as a whole but it's like just learning about the ins and outs yeah. to see the intricacies of like how the monarchy works in a constitutional monarchy in britain like how the prime minister and the queen work together um it's so it's really interesting i feel like i've learned a lot of history yeah. even though it's um like kind of just a period drama yeah. A little bit. Well, we frequently, like, look up the events after the fact to show each other of, like, oh, this was embellished a little bit. So, like, yeah. that's kind of nice afterward to do that, so. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Uh, and lastly, for the book that I got at Prospero's, it's another <laughs> nonfiction. Uh, it's The United States of Europe. Essentially, from what I could tell, it's just kind of showing how the European Union really came together to challenge uh, American supremacy in global politics, which I find really fascinating, especially now to see it in uh, hindsight of, you know, the UK just leaving the European Union. So to look at it from the start and see a more full picture, because it does seem to be like an end of an era with the UK leaving the EU and so just to kind of see what it was like in its full force we don't know the ramifications of Brexit obviously but you know just to kind of see it from that light is going to be pretty fascinating and just from being an American reading it too to have it kind of tied into something that may be a little bit more familiar because it looks like it um, it's not just a history of the EU itself but a history of the EU um, in competition with the United States of America which I think is a cool way to kind of look at the history juicy uh yeah it looks like it will be juicy so uh that'll be cool and then obviously the crown uh as i had just said it's been really fun to see the history of all of that and then also uh i've been on a movie kick for 2020 to um remedy what jamie has dubbed as my uh Film illiteracy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is accurate. It's totally I said, accurate. Yeah. I would like to clarify that I said that I thought Brian would def- sure, define sure. himself as illiterate in film. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. And so the last two that Jamie and I watched were both volumes of the Kill Bill 
uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. I've never seen either of those. Um, and I will just say the thing about it is like it's so much in a specific genre just because it's like the action and kung fu movie tropes that come through pretty hard in them. And I really like that right now. I feel like when I was younger, I didn't really like any of the genre heavy like books or movies but now it makes me want to for the next choice of the podcast get into something that is like a genre fiction to try to find something because um just it, it highlighted more from doing the musical intros for each of the books but we've done so much that's been like banjo banjo because it's been like southern lit or america in the 1800s or whatever so We've kind of, and, and I know that we've done some genre stuff too, because we did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and we've done other things, but mm. I just feel like we've had uh, a decent focus on that, so I just think for the next one, I'll, I'll kind of want to expand my own horizons, because, you know, two of those choices were, <laughs> were my own choices on the podcast, so uh, I think it'll be nice to explore that a little bit more, and just watching the Tarantino movies just kind of show that maybe I'm more open to that moving forward so that'd be kind of cool yeah i was surprised how much i liked kill bill yeah. i would like to say it wasn't what i thought it was um at all <laughs> i don't know what i thought it was <laughs> but it wasn't that i just thought it'd be gruesome and i think the first i don't know anything about kill bill just like a big revenge story essentially yeah it's just i mean she wants to kill bill that's the whole the whole plot you don't even really get that much background on who they are mm -hmm. like you do until get, the second volume yeah but even then you still don't know actually what their job is really like or why yeah it's like you get more background on their relationship right but on the world you don't yeah <laughs> Which, which, I, which I still like because it just kept it so focused. And even though it was long, it's like over four hours with the two of them combined. He wanted it to be one movie. But it, it, obviously to release it in theaters, especially at that time, they were just like, yeah, pass. We can't do that. <laughs> so we split it into two. And anyway, it was it was interesting. I definitely uh, coming in hot in 2020 recommending a movie from 2003 and 2004. <laughs> like, wow. We are on it. Highly recommended. <laughs> this is uh, hot stuff right now. So anyway, with that, we're going to move into uh, part two of As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Uh, speaking of a story that really gets into my one-track mind a little bit, we finally get to the end of the tale here for the Bundren family, and it got a little wild. Um, more, Shit more wild, wild. More, more wild than I thought at the end. Yeah, it so, was very chaotic. Yeah, it was so, chaotic. So let's dive into it. Just just to get started here, let's let's do a summary real quick and, and definitely jump in as we uh or as I go through this. Um Did we do a summary last time? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. So I forgot. so where we left off last time and as as always it was about halfway through. Um this was a flashback to when Jewel was kind of sneaking around at night and was getting money to buy a horse and we kind of talked about that that it being that flashback in the middle of a story that seemed to be pretty linear that that horse would play a big role eventually it did uh but when we get back from the flashback the bundren family is trying to get across the rivers that have now raised to levels that make it quite difficult to cross uh, they're all trying to figure out what the best way over is, who should go first, you know, trying to get ropes to 
to help bring the wagon over while they're carrying this decomposing body that even at this point is starting to smell terribly. And as we're getting across the river, uh, because of how rapid it's going, there are logs that are coming through and there are a lot of um, issues that come up. And eventually uh, we almost lose the coffin with Addie in it. Uh, Cash, his leg breaks here, right? At the, yeah, at the for river the second here. time yeah. in his life. He yeah. breaks the same leg. So he breaks his leg during this, and this is happening right at the beginning of this section for us, and that is something that carries through till the end of the novel, too. So Cash's leg is broken. They're still trying to get over to Jackson uh, to bury Addie as she had wanted, which is what we had figured out from the last part. And we start to get into... Uh, a lot of other characters, and and I'll get into this once the summary's over, but there are a lot of different narrators that weren't a part of the first part. Um, and so we start to get perspective from other people on this family going through. They're kind of making a scene. The body is just smelling so terribly by the time they get through to a lot of these towns where people are just like, can you leave? Yeah, they, like, <laughs> get, a whole town is literally, yeah, like, 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 concerned this is for this. <laughs> like, get out of here. Crazy family. You yeah. smell rancid. Yeah. Leave. Yeah, so, so Cash with his leg broken is sitting on top of the coffin. They're such a mess. Uh, eventually, they're still needing uh, a way through. So, you know, they lost a lot of their mules from the river. So ants, the... Oh, the description uh, of the mules... Turning over. <laughs> oh god! Was, it was repeated like eight times, yeah. and I was just like, oh. especially ones. because ants worked really hard, or uh, he had to like trade a lot, mm-hmm. or like uh, uh, put a lot on the line for those mules. Yeah, and so with them gone, Jules' horse, right? So, well, that's the thing. That was the first set of mules that died, and so oh, for yeah, the yeah. second set, he then has to sell yeah. Jules' horse. Jewel gets pissed, so ca- his- Cash's legs broken. Jules pissed. He ends up leaving for a little bit. Yeah, uh, in anger. He does come back in the end, which I think is kind of interesting. We'll get into that a little bit Jewel more. But doesn't Jewel officially? Isn't he the one that officially like sells the horse? Because he leaves on the horse and then comes back without it. Yeah, he that leaves, was my understanding. He leaves on the horse and then it's like is through he, Ants's like wheeling and dealing. Yeah, though. but he's like bitter about it. Right. He's like, Mad. well, fine, and, I'll go do well, it. Well, and the implication is Jewel has left forever. Like maybe he ran away with his yeah. horse, mm-hmm. and so you don't know until the next morning that the the trade happened because he left his horse there and he comes back. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, now we're getting into Jewel getting pissed. We are getting Vardaman kind of sensing that things are amiss. Vardaman's chaotic in, in, energy. In his uh, understanding as a child in this story. Uh, and so then we just continue on to another town. Um, and Vardaman is the one that starts to really say that things are amiss with a few different characters, especially with Dewey Dell, who we eventually find out is trying to get an abortion uh, from multiple places. But she doesn't know what that means. Yeah, so she keeps trying to find ways to talk or about it. And, and it's also very much, you know, illegal for mm-hmm. anybody to assist her in doing this. And also, eventually, we get to a point where uh, Addie's coffin is in a barn that they're staying at and Daryl who has been from last section one of the people that has been narrating most of the story and has been described as other people as being kind of off uh, he actually sets fire to the barn that she's in which causes even more problems and eventually Daryl gets taken away uh, to an insane asylum 
Uh, so all the children are going through some stuff right now, and then eventually we get to the end that uh, they get to Jackson. Ants gets a couple shovels from a house, and at the end he steals money that Dewey Dell was going to use to get her abortion. Mm-hmm. She's already been coerced into sex at this point. With she, she, I, I was confused. Well, about I don't that. know about how, that. How was their money? It had already happened. She had already gone to right. the pharmacy mm-hmm. and. And he said $10 wouldn't be enough, but he gives her some medicine, some fake medicine, and then he tells her to come back, and she has some sort of, she has to trade some kind of sexual favor for, like, this uh, fake mm-hmm. medicine. But then how, does she not spend that money? How is Ant still able to, to well, that's what I'm, uh, and take I, the money from her? That's what, I feel like because he said $10 isn't enough, but I'll take like something yeah. else like something else. So he trade. just didn't take any I think, of the money. I think, I why wouldn't he just take the money? I think maybe he just forced her to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. I kind of... I don't know if I missed that. Was there an explicit thing that had been said that she had... Oh, yeah. I must he have said, gone by very quickly on that. Hair of the dog. We're going to go down to the cellar. Oh. He gives her okay. turpentine to okay. swallow. Okay. And then, and then she and then she leaves. She takes... He Dewey. keeps calling it a procedure. When he says the procedure, he's talking about okay. his dick. <laughs> like, that's he's talking he's, about raping her is what yeah. he's talking about. He. She also... She takes... Uh, she has to go back to this pharmacy this is the second pharmacy she's mm-hmm. visited because yeah. the first guy basically first was one. like i'm a christian man of god i will not whatever yeah um and this guy's <laughs> like oh i'll take advantage of this yeah so both yeah. bad can't um, get you pregnant again she takes uh she takes vardaman with her and makes him sit outside mm-hmm. while she is doing whatever she's doing in the in the pharmacy and so i, I guess i was i was confused at the end because Anne takes the money from her yeah. and she says she calls him a thief um and i just was i didn't know how much she had to, she only had ten dollars i mean she only had ten dollars with her so i didn't i didn't understand that she hadn't used it but i i guess she didn't the guy didn't take the money from her she just yeah. still had the yeah. ten dollars that was my understanding and and so just to get to the end of the summary then ants takes that money gets himself new teeth um <laughs> and, and ends, a new wife and ends up marrying the person that he borrowed the shovels from which also I'm confused about who that person is because they call like this is the Bundren family. Yeah, and they, but they also keep calling that house the Bundren house. Right, yeah, so is it like his cousin, distant cousin, or something? I don't know. That's what Wait, I was wondering. Which house? The, where the one he that he borrows his the, new wife. So the one that had all the music playing when he goes oh, in. Yeah. yeah. So they called it Bundren before. I yeah, did notice that. Yeah, they called it Bundren. I missed that. And then he comes out and says that she's Mrs. Bundren at the end of yeah. the novel. Uh, presumably having married her literally like right after burying his wife yeah we also totally skipped over cash gets his leg in cement they cement it as like a cast they think that's a cast and then probably loses his leg definitely loses his leg well they cut they they like smash the cement off and it has infected his skin which and like burned him severely because he was out in the sun wrapped in cement Yeah. yeah which is a whole so he basically that yeah and and then Peabody the doctor who's like treating him like proceeds to like uh, trash and trash ants and like, like the what whole a family while he, he like you know is <laughs> yeah. so derisive like yeah. at at ants like as he's like taking as trying like, to like why did they do this to cash you? is like yeah, it, yeah and and it's crazy I mean one thing that one thing that the that Faulkner like tries to point out I think throughout the whole thing is especially like Cash's um 
like almost like resilience or something like yeah he just he doesn't make any noise fine, he just says it's, it's fine. fine he faints a few mm-hmm. times like while I, they're trying I, to set it i feel okay i barely notice it it ain't nothing <laughs> it ain't no, like then he it here he is just like with a bad leg like lying prone on his like mother's coffin and he's like and it's gonna be a i'm fine and it's gonna be a permanent injury according to peabody yeah like, it's yeah. like they're gonna have to amputate his yeah, leg that was like almost or, or at least it's gonna be something that he can't he'll have it. to limp for the yeah. rest of his life so yeah i think that that's most of it it's a lot of misfortune it happened uh very quickly um so i guess the first thing knowing all of that i kind of wanted to get into something that we um said we'd revisit last week um, now that we know the whole story, uh, we talked about the fact that in looking up stuff about this novel and in just knowing about the general descriptions of Faulkner's work anyway, a lot of it is described as Southern Gothic. So we kind of talked about it, and it was something that, you know, personally I don't have much experience with that style. And so it, I just thought it would be something that would be worth getting the definition out there and kind of talking about maybe what in this book brings it into that style now that we know how it ended. So I'll toss it over to Jamie. I think she had looked up a little bit about this and also has had uh, more experience with, with Southern Gothic uh, novels anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. We talked about like, I, I feel like I've read a decent amount of that genre of Southern Gothic in like college and on my own, but I didn't know exactly how to define it. Uh, so one definition from Oxford Research Encyclopedia states that characteristics of Southern Gothic include the presence of irrational, horrific, and transgressive thoughts, desires, and impulses, grotesque characters, dark humor, and an overall angst-ridden sense of alienation. <laughs> Checks out. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that, that, all, that all is definitely in there. And uh, also uh, another definition talks about how southern because like southern gothic is obviously based off of just like gothic literature and american gothic which i think um edgar Allan poe would be like an american gothic pre-southern gothic author um and so obviously like the grotesque is in there but southern gothic is a genre of its own i think particular because of this it's it's examining the values of the american south through like irony and grotesque figures like showing the um how the south in particular in america like presents itself as very proper but also has these really like fucked up rural communities yeah and i think that that especially is interesting in talking about it in the context of like the grotesque things that happen in mm-hmm. this novel and pe- even grotesque characters like ants is well yes yeah, so specifically for that when you're talking about like those definitions of gothic and then the southern play into that one of the things that amplifies and especially hearing that this is something that was like already kind of came up with ants's character anyway but you know, and talking about it from the Southern mentality, especially at this time, Ants amplified a lot of the misfortunes of this trip personally from mm-hmm. his own uh, quote unquote values, uh, especially, you know, part of it was like his promise to Addie to like get her over with like as much urgency as possible, which how much was that like for her 
rather than for himself uh, because then he obviously takes a wife right away. So, so yeah, so there's that. And then also certain things like, you know, he elongates the suffering of his family by not wanting to owe anybody anything, which is like this kind of ethic of uh, maybe more of the rural southern man at the time where he like won't readily accept food or shelter when like he has a lot of family members that obviously need it they get to the end of their trip they've lost a lot of weight there was a specific uh look into that your description of the family there and then even with cash's leg where it's just like he didn't want to take the time because then it would be you know something that he would maybe owe somebody or have to like pay for it you know that all kind of played into him delaying getting cash help and then being the person to put it in cement uh so like that is kind of interesting to hear that definition for ants in particular uh do you guys think there are any other things that you think would play into that southern gothic um description for this novel um i think uh on top of that with ants i think like physically he is just a grotesque character like grotesque we often think of like disformed and he has like a giant hump so like thinking about that and and then yeah the no teeth and like he is a grotesque figure he is Mm -hmm. not the southern gentleman Mm -hmm. that she would imagine um but i also think looking at like what we were just talking about with cash um and kind of like this almost like toxic um genteel like very like oh it doesn't i'm fine Mm -hmm. like he's clear like his leg is gonna need to be amputated it's infected it's burned it is broken it's gross and he's just like ain't ain't no thing yeah no matter like everything's fine it's fine fine. and he repeats it like he repeats himself there's a lot of things in this book actually that are like comically repeated Mm -hmm. yeah like over and over and over by multiple characters and it's just like i don't know how i don't know what (laughs) that is i don't know what but it's like I don't know. I I was like, I was interested in that too. How he repeats himself so often, especially. Mm -hmm. And and that is uh, the thing in hearing that specific description on Southern Gothic that talks about the dark humor. Uh, Just anecdotally, I had told you guys before we recorded, but there was a coworker that had come in uh, earlier this week and I was having dinner with him. He was from out of town and we were talking about this podcast and he asked what we were reading currently. And so I said, as I lay dying. And one of the first things that he had mentioned is that he had found the book funny to some degree. Mm -hmm. He obviously knew the context of like, you know, this is obviously a dark story about the matriarch passing away and Mm -hmm. their journey to get her buried. But like he mentioned a couple of things where, you know, just the way that Vardaman speaks, uh, just giving so much time to Vardaman to give his, childlike thoughts in the midst of this serious thing was really funny because of random descriptions like him just saying like my mother's a fish and that's a thing that he like kept bringing back and like all of these things that like he just didn't have the capacity to understand and so you're getting hugely important parts of the story presented to you by Vardaman which I thought was a kind of a humorous thing to like not give it to uh, people that maybe had a better grasp of what was going on and also the thing that he had brought up was the last sentence of the entire novel it could have ended with so many different things after a journey of this but he specifically pointed that out uh for the final sentence and so you know we get to the end after this entire journey and 
uh, Ants comes out and he's used the money that uh, he got from Dewey Dell um, and to get new teeth. And so it goes through. And the last thing that he says after all this, he walks out with his teeth and he just says, meet Mrs. Bundren, mm-hmm. which is the whole journey about burying the last Mrs. Bundren. And all of a sudden, the end of the whole story is that, well, here's another one. It doesn't matter. Like, And he won't look them in the eyes yeah, when he so, says it. Also. So like that, that seems to be, you know, he's, he brought that up and maybe I was influenced by that. But it also seems like a humorous way to end the story of like, this is the story of like, what could only be the Mrs. Bundren? Like, mm-hmm. how could there be another one? Because yeah, this is what it's it focused on. Seems almost like, like a romantic journey. Like right. if you just said, like he's he is struggling, traveling across the state in order to fulfill his wife's last wish. Like that seems romantic. Yeah, but <laughs> then I realized that, uh, like, I was, I, I, I passed over her burial. Like very yeah, it almost was like. I mean, his not a big his thing. tone throughout the entire book is very the same, regardless of what is happening. Mm-hmm. So it's actually very easy. It was easy for me to like miss shit, and I had to yeah. go, I had to go back and read like Definitely. when uh, when like the coffin was flying around in the river. <laughs> oh, the river <laughs> scene was the ri- so the, ri- so the river scene I read several times and still was unsure of what was happening, but yeah. like. It, his, it's so frustrating almost um, because his tone is just so it's it's similar like regardless of what's happening and it feels like they're like, they might as well during this horrifying like like chaotic river scene they might as well just be like planting corn I don't know it feels very much the same and so like I thought it was so ironic that like you get to the end of the story and like I had basically just like missed I even missed in the spark notes where they the the sentence (laughs) in spark notes where they they were basically just like uh, uh, they they bury Addie and then Darl's taken away and I was like and I missed it while I was reading the summary and so like it's crazy how fucking little it matters by the end the whole point of the book is this thing and then it just it stops mattering because everything that has happened on the journey has superseded now like the actual point of the journey which makes me love it in all honesty because it's it's such a bait and switch of like when you are reading it because i think even and this was something that was probably more on my side than you guys but you know i described it just from like what we had read and how the story was progressing of like this is just going to be like the journey of burying her like this is what it is and we're going to like maybe there's going to be horrific stuff along the way but like (laughs) we're just going to hear about how it was but the fact that like that becomes so unimportant at the end that like the ending of the novel isn't like oh they finally they finally they they took the shovel and made the last pad on the on the gravesite and (laughs) they all hugged they all hugged no it was was something completely (laughs) different it's it's hilarious that Faulkner really did like get me in that way because I was just I was I, I, I don't know if I was fully expecting that but I was I was still expecting like a little like, like nice a ceremony. Yeah, like whatever. we're all gonna have a word Meanwhile, to say one of about them Addie. Is fucking <laughs> married. One of them is already in a mental institution. Right. Yeah. One of them is, has been forced to have sex with somebody and is still pregnant. Yeah. Uh, who knows what's happening with Vardaman? Like, just, <laughs> well, after everything he experienced, after everything I, he experienced, he's probably gonna have a rough upbringing. God, he's gonna have a rough go of it yeah. with the new Mrs. Bundren. It just is so. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I wasn't expecting them all to be like, you know, singing Kumbaya and holding hands at the end. But I still was (laughs) expecting a little bit of that, like, element. And I feel like I was played. And I like it. No, I definitely like it. It was was a very pleasant surprise. 
Um, I was going to say even right when we were like doing the summary of this section, I already rated this on Goodreads and I gave it a four out of five stars this morning. And now I think I need to change it. I loved this book. (laughs) Are you about to give it a five? I think I'm going to give it a five star. Like I really, Jamie, I don't know. Because I think that the first half was very underwhelming Mm -hmm. compared to the second. But it just had to build it up in such a way chaotic like literally so quickly. right yeah. after we finished like right when we started the second section was when everything picked up so like Shit it almost was split perfectly yeah. in the so. river but yeah it is like a beautiful critique yeah. of a lot of different things yeah. and their family their family itself is like a microcosm of i don't even i don't even know but mm-hmm. you know like they're they're also they're a very different personality so types different like Cash, the way that he works, like Daryl being kind of like strange and how people are perceiving of him, yeah. like Jewel, you know, being, you can get all these yeah. different things. But wait, wait, we didn't talk about uh, we didn't talk about Whitfield. We didn't talk about um, Addie's affair with Whitfield. Oh, oh. and that I well, even well, oh no, sorry, it so, feels so brushed over. Well, so so let's get into this real quick because it, it'll this will tie in a little bit. I want to get to the chapter breakdown of who who was speaking during the second half, because I think that that's kind of an important thing because as I mentioned, new names get brought in and one of them is Addie. Yeah. So, so let's just go I through this. Addie's I chapter. Yeah. So, Addie's so let's, chapter. let's go through this real quick. So, so for the chapter two, starting after we finished, here's the amount of times that everybody speaks. So we have toll. He gets two. Darl gets eight. Uh, no surprise on that yeah. one. Cause last time he had 11 just for context. So he still had, quite a high number vardaman came in hot with six and he had four last time and so that brings vardaman up to the the second spot as far as uh we learned a lot through vardaman yeah that's what i'm saying that's why very helpful it was helpful but that's why like it brought in that darker humor because it was like this person who wasn't mentally able to like fully understand what was going on was the one he was giving us all the information it was was the one who who saw daryl set the barn on fire right yeah so so vardaman had six we had cash with three which was kind of interesting Mm -hmm. to me uh, we had Cora with one, so she got brought back. And then we had Addie with a chapter. Yeah. Who would have thought that in the back half we had Addie with a chapter? Uh, Whitfield, we had one. Uh, Armstead, we had one. Mosley, we had one. So these are a lot of the people uh, on their journey over. Peabody comes back with one. Uh, Mosley's the pharmacist. And then we have McGowan with one. McGowan and then, was the rapist. And then Dewey mm-hmm. Dell with one. So, yeah. So, oh, that's Dewey Dell surprises me. So, so Dewey Dell total has only four uh, chapters, and so like other characters, like Toll has six total. Uh, Cash, long, Cash has five total. So, I know. I'd want a page breakdown. Yeah, and I feel I, like it's unfair. I feel yeah. like I, I no, I, I, I like I appreciate the break the chapter breakdown, but I also think that like even with like Dewey Dell's. Uh, were particularly long, mm-hmm. I feel like. And, and Addie's chapter was fairly long. Yeah. And, it, and it was done, like, you know, she had her one chapter there, and so he really gave the space for her to get into her side of things, and that brought in an interesting dynamic to the family because all we got at the beginning was, oh, Addie's upstairs, she's dying, and here's her family out in the yard. But all of a sudden, she's just like not even feeling that passionate about her own family. She doesn't even consider oh, half the kids to be hers. She hates everybody. Yeah. She hates... Did you guys think that um, that these were musings coming from Addie uh, like when she was alive? Or were you reading them as like beyond the grave? Addie's thoughts from what it would be like if she could think as a 
corpse. Uh, I don't know. Because I, I hadn't thought about it, but I well, kind of think the well, latter. Well, just, I think I read it as a flashback. I read it as a flashback. But, but I don't know. But also one other thing is during some people's chapters, there was the italicized moments. And it almost seemed like in some of those... And maybe it was just the way it was written because, like, obviously a lot of this was more of this stream of consciousness style. So it wasn't just, like, laid out, like, this is what we're talking about. But some of those felt like it was Addy in the coffin to me. Yeah. Because it was like... I could see that. There, there was something that... It, I think... I, I can't remember what part it I was. I wish I most of the italicized sections seemed like they were about Darl. Like, if it was italicized, it was talking about Darl. Varnavin I, I, well, I has plenty. I thought that though, too, but there, but there were parts. certain ones where they were in the wagon and it like made but it... But he was talking about... It, it made it seem like Addy was like mentioning something about like her coffin getting rocked and like it seemed like it was from her perspective as a corpse. Yeah. But, the layers. But from Addie's chapter I to me it seemed like a flashback but that was something that popped out to me that maybe that was the case but I, I feel like the, the timeline's already so non-linear that I just assumed it was a flashback yeah, yeah I, I think I kind of read it that way but then I was reading a summary and it was like it was like it's unclear if it's you know Addie from beyond the grave or if it's a flashback mm-hmm. and I was like I think that's an interesting thing to yeah. consider like Addie is like a present character along with all of the other ones yeah uh even even though she's dead it almost doesn't matter that's almost not the point yeah you know um and so I don't know I really liked I liked the idea that Addie could be like sentient almost and like thinking um while she couldn't like have an effect on everybody on on anybody uh, any of the characters at in at the present she was still like able to have a, vo- a voice yeah i don't know i thought that was interesting yeah and i think it was just nice to see uh like once we once we realized how screwed up the family was yeah. that then we get Addie's perspective of you know everything that she had said in that instance of her just like not really like loving her <laughs> family that much to some degree I, like I she, she she does it's not completely very, that way but she seems very like i don't know clinical like she's very she's just unemotional mm-hmm. like the i i took multiple pictures of quotes from her chapter and i didn't do that for most other chapters so clearly i really liked it but her talking about like he had a word to love he called it but I had been used to words for a long time. Oh, like oh, damn! Just word. <laughs> she's talking about ants. Yeah, Jeez. like saying that he loves her, and she's like, "That's just a word. He can yeah. call it that if he wants to." But I think, like, I think I was that's con- so cold. Yeah, just, oh. I think I was confused a little bit about Addie because, like, she talks she talks about having all of her kids as though she's almost like. She 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 feels like they're not hers. She feels like they have they have like Im, uh, impinged on her like like aloneness and her like autonomy. I feel like, mm. but also, I hate to be whatever. But I kind of was like, what did you expect? Like right. you're you got married to this guy. You I mean you just said yes because you didn't have any other options. Like what did you think was what did you think was going to yeah. happen? Like you got. You got pregnant a bunch of times and it sucks, but yeah. like what? And, and then it compounded. Like she already was feeling, you know, with her first two children earlier on. Like she already had these feelings of like, yeah. oh, this is starting to like mess with my life. And then then there's just like three more um, later on. And obviously, it's like a different circumstance mm-hmm. thing because we're even talking about how difficult, you know, it would be for somebody to get an abortion or to like have right, birth control or right. anything else. And like, that's a whole different conversation because of the time period, but still like 
to your point, it's true. It's just like, you know, she did have some commitment to it of just being like, like you yeah, married a guy and started having sex with him. Like, well, yeah. I, I, I just, I like, I feel, I absolutely feel for her. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm, this isn't like, I, I, I don't <laughs> feel unsympathetic. I just kind of feel like, I her tone was a little bit she was like and then I had Daryl and then I had three more and I was just like mm-hmm. what you but also her tone about um why am I blanking what's his name Jewel Jewel she her, loves Jewel her tone about Jewel is so interesting to me because I feel like she doesn't seem that passionate about her affair it almost seems like an afterthought but for some reason Jewel is this like the special child but also Jewel hates her like but, but he doesn't the, return the love, but at that the same time, shows. like, but Jewel still then agreed later on because, like, if you're thinking about all the different like ways people, you know, helped on this journey or did whatever else for this journey, you look at what Ants was doing, and it seemed very like self-serving to get Addy to the grave. But then Jewel, despite Ants's, you know, Ants making this deal with his horse that he didn't want to participate in, he still, as you guys had mentioned, like willingly went out anyway. And that would have to be something, some feeling toward, uh, toward Addy to even have him make that decision in the first place, which was kind of an interesting like reveal, even Mm -hmm. though their relationship was maybe more strained because of his attitude previously. Yeah. That's but that a- also just seems like that, that jewel is just an angsty guy yeah. in general. I agree with that because I do think that we see jewel is one of the more like, I don't know how to like, he's stubborn in wanting to get Addie to her final place. Yeah. More than anybody else is he's like very quietly stubborn. About yeah. It. Um, and so I do think that he loved her. But she, in her chapter, like, st- says that he doesn't. Well, did you... Uh, I don't remember if it was her chapter or Cora's chapter, um, but Cora is, like, the, the neighbor character who is, like, almost like a humorous, like, um, caricature, like, like stereotype of, like, a blind Christian, like... Housewife. Housewife, yeah. basically. And... She she multiple times like criticizes Addie in her own mind for like yeah. Addie being like Definitely. she she thinks she's vain and she thinks she's mm-hmm. too proud and she thinks she's better than you know God or like or you know, she's better than believing needing to believe in God or whatever and yeah that at got one some point, serious religious philosophy it, for Cora, the two of Cora them Cora was super critical and then also uh, there was a point at which Addie literally you know quote scripture basically says that he is her cross to bear and he will she, she'll worship him till whatever and like she's talking about jewel she's not talking about god she's she's talking <laughs> yeah, she says it that. to cora and cora realizes that she's talking about jewel and it's she like she says it's like sacrilegious yeah she basically is like this is you know she that's like she was super like rude and critical in her own mind again about mm-hmm. Addie in this way but it was really interesting to me because you're right like she she shows all of so much disdain for all of her other children and ants and uh and jewel is for some reason like this the the object of her like affair like or the product sorry of her affair like is the thing that she like wants the most love from and attention from and like Mm -hmm. it almost i feel like it was kind of the thing that made her feel like the most alive in her life not even the affair but like what came from the affair like this illicit like Like secret secret child because maybe like her her like i don't know like I don't know. I, I feel like it was a an int- like it was something that she thought was 
like like made her life interesting almost like jewel represents like something that makes her life uh mysterious and so interesting was jewel aware ever i don't think so. there's okay. a well there's well, a chapter there's a moment where vardaman asks him a question and jewel gets mad well no but also also vardaman continued doing like the my mother or i don't know I, I don't think my I, mother is a fish jewel's mother is a horse, horse and at one point he asks jewel if your mother is a horse, then who is your father? And Jewel gets super pissed. No, 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 and, like, no. This is Darl. Off. That's not Vardaman. It's Darl. Darl says. I thought. I thought Vardaman asked that. Darl says, "Jewel, whose son are you?" And then he says later, "Your mother was a horse, but who is your father, Jewel?" And um, they they keep. So like I couldn't tell if if it meant. I thought that was Vardaman talking. Vardaman was there. Oh, okay. Well, that's he was so part interesting it, that but... Vardaman also like latches on to that because that obviously it comes up so many times and like that's so interesting that you know this complex relationship is then like reiterated over and over by Vardaman through this like abstract sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it seems like they've been playing around this idea mm-hmm. by by phrasing it in that way, and that's something that Vardaman, in his understanding, is just like. Like, that's something that he latches onto as a child, but then also it, like, carries this huge implication yeah. of, you know, the infidelity. In the also, family. something that is super interesting is if you read... So this chapter, this Darl chapter is super short. It's two pages. Um, if you read the italics as though they're coming from Addie, which I love and want to, like, read I, I need book to I need to relook at it, but it, it did it's feel... It's really so, interesting. Yeah. So uh, Darl is, like, asking Jewel about his, you know... Uh, his his parents and whatever and so I couldn't tell if like that meant Daryl knew I couldn't tell if that if Jewel if that meant Jewel knew mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't know if that meant like Vardaman somehow like had some kind of he was around anyway then at the very end of the chapter they talk about something else um, and then at the very end of the chapter in italics it says Jewel I say who is your father Jewel god damn you god damn you and I was <laughs> just like uh, is it Eddie? Oh Eddie, is that you? I don't know. I think that's really interesting to yeah. to get to the end and be like, uh, you know, Addie is Addie is questioning so, Jewel. So I'm not saying that I felt that every italicized moment was the case, but there were some that it felt to me, yeah. even if from like the very physical, like in the coffin right now and the road is rough, something yeah. like there was yeah. something like that, and maybe. Like, as you were saying, it might have had to do was with Was that in Darl. the first half? Or are you talking about the second half? Uh, the the italicized part that I thought was Addie. I think that was second half, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There was some There was some section where I feel like... I feel like it was Vardaman, maybe, that was talking. And every time it was italicized, it was talking... It was for sure talking about Darl. Yeah, because there, was, there yeah. was some that... Yeah, yeah. And it was I, happening I think that a that's lot. definitely true. I don't know that it's over. And it kept over. saying he, but yeah. it wouldn't say his name. Yeah. But it was definitely about Darl. So I, I, so it's like, I don't know. I'd, I'd need to relook at it. This isn't that I'd definitely be willing to reread again because it was so short. Like yeah. I feel like there's it's a lot quick, missing. Quick uh, a, a lot that you would gain more insight into the second time through. Uh, but we're kind of uh, running short on time here. Um, just as far as like this episode is almost an hour and and so i'll kind of tie one thing into another i suppose but we'll get into final thoughts right now one of the interesting things is that again as i mentioned last week that daryl overwhelmingly had the most chapters and ended up being the one that went insane the last chapter of his wasn't even like from Which, his perspective to some degree or maybe yeah, it's from he his ta- he says Darl. Darl. talks about himself in the third, third person. person yeah so Which also we didn't really talk about sorry i'm interrupting you uh, but yeah. like i do not fully 100 percent understand why and maybe there's not a reason but why Darl lit the barn on fire 
I I like I thought he was trying he was trying to like incinerate the coffin. Yeah, I thought is it was that, something related to the coffin. The, that's what that's what like Sparkout says. That's like well, what the that's what the oh, okay. well, like, even in the middle of it he was like lifting it up and like yeah, that was obviously a focus while it was on fire. Into yeah. the barn. So I think I think the idea is that but also I think that he was going he went a little crazy almost it yeah. was just kind of like wanted to like get it over with because that last sentence that too or last sentence last chapter of his um was getting into all this stuff that like kind of highlighted that he was actually crazy and it wasn't just like everybody kind of be like oh darling you're nuts like he had the thing of the yes 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 yeah over and over and also it was in the third person so i loved that. i kind of want to like touch into that just because it is important for final thoughts and then just like it final thoughts over the book in general but like what do you think about the fact that Daryl ended up being crazy but also had the most chapters in the entire book or anything that stems from that and then also just like general final thoughts uh from there so well I think we should also clarify that half like a lot of the reason why Daryl ended up being shipped off to a mental institution was because um it would like there was a lawsuit that was going to be threatened yeah, the family whose the, the family whose barn it was down. and yeah. so I, I feel like it's less like proving that he's crazy and more just kind of like ironic that they had this is like a trade they had to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't but, seem okay, sorry. But still, the- Here's a question within that because I feel like in the description and maybe it was Vardaman talking and maybe that's why I'm confused but I feel like in the description of describing that moment where like Daryl was about to be shipped off because of like they knew that he did it like they as in the people who own the barn Mm -hmm. knew that he did it and even though Vardaman hadn't said anything and he knew and whatever I feel like there was a moment in that that was kind of describing Jules horse as a part of that transgression and maybe I'm going insane but (laughs) Darl is that you I (laughs) I swear there was something about like the animals being important the animals were important. I thought Jules Horse was there. Well, <laughs> was that the person? Like, was that the family that they traded with? I don't know. That was all super confusing to me because I could never tell whose barn they were in, which house they were at. That was how I Gillespie understood kept it. Kept showing I up. That's how I were. understood yeah, I it. I think was how that was Gillespie there somehow? Jewel like saved his horse from the burning barn, and it was his horse. But he was mad that this family had it. And maybe that's not a thing that's real, and I made that up in my mind. But I think that's also why I was confused about Darl's, like, reasoning for burning down the barn. I was like, is he trying to get Jules' horse back? Is this what's happening? I don't know that that's going to help anything. Yeah, but also for, like, the argument of that, you know, him as part of this transaction for the lawsuit potentially. Like, I still think that there is some real um, evidence for his... Insanity just because of the last chapter. Like, why would they phrase it the way that it was in that last one and, like, kind of have such a break in the style where it's first person for each person's chapter? And his was in third. And also that, like, again, the repeated kind of, like, losing grip with even being able to phrase a coherent thought. I'm not arguing that he is. I do think he's insane. I I said something about that, though. But I think also, realistically, if it hadn't been somebody else's barn, like, they would have just kept Jewel at their house, or not Jewel, Darl at their house forever, and just, like, taken care of him, because it's the South, and so I think that it is important that that lawsuit was going to happen. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I, I think that there's just going to be a lot of mystery, and that actually is, like, 
is such a cool thing for the book that like even after having read all of it and it being as short as it is that there's still so much to like unpack there uh it, it ended up being such a dense experience with him like especially at the end bringing in all these different factors here um so with all that just of like this is something to continue to explore uh, let's just get into some final thoughts about like enjoyment of the book in general maybe you, did you like the first half second half some of the classic stuff just final thoughts in general that you want to get off before we uh, sign off anybody want to start on that yeah i liked it a lot more than i was expecting to at the end of the first half mm-hmm. i thought this was going to be a solid three stars for me <laughs> and i really it is a high four stars for me now which like sounds anyway um <laughs> i yeah, I I really enjoyed the second half. Um, it was very fast and it was very chaotic and so much was happening. And I sometimes get, I'm sometimes bothered when I like don't understand things enough to, like so that I have to go back and read them. But I almost like found, kept finding meaning as I kept mm-hmm. going back and like reading and understanding more. And there yeah. were like so many layers and it was very dense in that way. Even during this episode, like having discussed it more, yeah. it's just like, dang, there's just like there's way, just, way more there's than I There's a lot even... to unpack. Yeah. I do in my final thoughts want to bring up Whitfield because it was a very small thing. But my favorite thing was Whitfield, the man, the fucking minister who is like <laughs> proclaiming to be Cora is like Whitfield is God and whatever and then he is proclaiming to be this like very holy man he has this affair with Addie and then he realizes that Addie may may want to confess her affair on her deathbed so he like fucking yes. hightails the shit out of it to uh, their house and, mm. and he realizes that a- upon which he realizes Addie is already dead and he literally says he decides that it's the thought that counts and it's essentially like I'm not going to confess because my will to confess is as good as confessing. God knows. God knows that I've... He literally... He was being such a weaselly little fuck and I... It was such a... It was such a humorous part of the book also was he literally... He was so like... um, He was so... uh, He he felt so sorry and so sad and then he was like such a... He was so fake. Like he gets to the... And he's like... He realizes that she's died and he's like, well... Maybe it doesn't mu- matter much after all, but, yeah. like, nobody knows. Uh, you know. My will... Uh, he says something no. like, the will to confess is is just as good as confessing. Yeah. And I thought that... W- I thought, like, we didn't really get into this as much, but, like, Faulkner's portrayal of Christians in this book was super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. The yeah. way that he portrayed Cor- Cora, and then also, like, the minister who, like, has an affair. He's the only character like one of the only Christian characters in the book who has an affair like as minor characters too like that's yeah. what's so cool is that yeah. you know especially when you're highlighting it from these chapters getting split out by name it's you then even get a better sense yeah. and I know obviously the yeah. page count matters too but like they didn't even have that much time total from their perspective right. and they still right. were able to communicate or he was able to communicate so much through them yeah. in such a small amount of time yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I even just liked like unpacking all of this like very in a, like in a very layered way yeah. even just now in the last hour. So I really enjoyed it. I I want to read uh, the other famous Faulkners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to end with a quote that I was going to bring up earlier and didn't get a chance to. Um, because this is the sign of a good episode. I mean, it made so me much to say. it made me <laughs> laugh so much when I saw it, and also thinking about like what I know of Faulkner, like, for so long, 
I've I've read one short story by him, uh, A Rose for Emily. And then also for so long, I just had the idea of like Faulkner and Hemingway hated each other. They were like friends, but like frenemies because they had very different <laughs> styles. Um, at the same time, like Faulkner was very verbose and wordy, and Hemingway was like strictly to the point. Um, but also, I feel, and maybe this is my like twenty first century brain reading into it i feel like this book was very very critical of men and masculinity and hemingway opposed to that is like very misogynistic yeah um so i thought that was really interesting and there was just this line that i thought was really funny of like a toxic masculinity portrayal it was from toll's chapter um and he's talking about cora and their um like storage of milk and he says something that's like uh then you have the incentive to have tight well-made jars because it is your milk sour or not because you would rather have milk that will sour than to have milk that won't because you are a man (laughs) (laughs) and i just thought that was beautiful boom i will leave you with that you're a man and your milk will sour god damn it And you'll deal with it. <laughs> and you'll like it. Bitch. <laughs> All right? Um, so, I don't know. I already said that I really, really liked this novel. I agree with Danny that I I probably, if it had ended with the first half, I would have given it like a three star. Because I didn't think it was that exciting. I didn't feel like it was very similar to the Southern Gothic books that I had read previously. Yeah. Um, but I, the second half, definitely the chaotic grotesque nature um plays into that a lot and i really really enjoyed it um so five stars i'll read more faulkner (laughs) that's it nice yeah final thoughts i even just this discussion as as i'd already said just illuminated so much for me just because i i think it was you know this is an idea that we brought up last time about people saying how dense of a book this was and we were just like I don't know if we even necessarily felt that as much in the first half, which that's the thing is a lot of times we talk to people about the books that we're reading on the podcast, but we do do it in such a particular way, reading it as a first half, as a complete idea to then discuss. And so I think we missed out on a lot of what maybe made it dense overall from the introduction of a lot of these side characters and getting their perspectives and also seeing uh, like how the story progresses and, and makes the Bundren family fall apart. Uh, it was very dense, and there's a lot of stuff that was easy to miss because of the writing style. But, like, it just almost makes me excited to just, like, go back and read through it again. Just not having to focus on, like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, is Darl actually crazy? All this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, you can then focus on the subtleties in between. And, like, mm-hmm. when you get to the side characters, be able to focus on them more. Because I think a lot of it for the side characters it was still something of like my mind was still on the main story of getting Addie uh, to Jackson. And again, because of this bait and switch, essentially um, because of the bait and switch, essentially uh, you know, it just changed my whole understanding of the entire novel because it was just like, why was I even paying attention to that the whole time? That's not, it wasn't the point ever. And I think that that was what made it so much more fulfilling getting to the end of like, you know, just seeing that, you can have a novel without even having that much of like a quote unquote twist ending still create such a shift in your understanding of like what the novel was about and what it was trying to portray that late in the game. 
uh, was really cool. So I enjoyed it a lot, and I just I wasn't expecting to like it this much. And like yeah. Faulkner kind of gets a mixed rep, I think. And even people on Goodreads, is, the ratings for this book are all over the place from a lot of the people that I'm friends with. And I I think that it was a five star for me too. Just getting to that point and uh, having it change that dramatically. So that's super cool, and I'm excited to read more. I think. In the meantime, I probably won't pick one up really soon, but A Rose Family would be uh, interesting to quick, quick read. To read uh, very rapidly. And also, uh, we're going to be reading another book for the second book of the podcast that apparently has second book of the second season of the podcast yes. that has a tie-in to this one, which is going to be cool that, you know, what? getting to the end, we all had such good things to say all, all three we mentioned this earlier all, all three of us really enjoyed the novel and uh we'll just pass along since we like to remind everybody what's coming up next but just pass it over to you to kind of just mention that briefly yeah so our next novel is sing unburied sing by jasmine ward um and what brian's mentioning is that i skipped the copy of sing unburied sing that i have has like I, it might be like oprah's book club like discussion questions at the back and the first discussion question is compare jasmine ward's novel to as i lay dying by william faulkner um and i know at the very least because a co-worker of mine told me this that sing unburied sing has a similar like each chapter is from a different character's perspective like it's in that similar structure so that'll be interesting to look at um i'm excited to read it especially having just read it and having discussions it'll be it, i think it'll help illuminate that a lot that'd be really cool it's a much more modern novel it just came out like a few years ago yeah so and then after that the the next book we'll be reading after sing unburied sing yeah we're gonna do um john updike's rabbit run boom i don't know anything about john updike except (laughs) for he was a raging misogynist and asshole yeah yeah, let's go we love to see it toxic masculinity let's go 2020 the party uh pumped Cool. Yeah. So with that, that is the end of our first book of season two. So woo, woo, we woo. are rolling in it. We'll be having some discussions <laughs> for book number four with our mystery guest that we are aware of. But we'll do another again. Fourth book is one that we kind of have committee vote on with an extra guest. And then the back half, we'll do another another three. So... With that, I suppose we'll uh, get a scat to get us out of here. Jamie, please scat us out. There's going to be so many motifs of scats by the end of this. Entire. I want them all as my, my ringtones. <laughs> With that, we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.